0: Welcome and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. We are a Southern Baptist church dedicated to seeking the glory of God by proclaiming the gospel in all that we do. If you would like more information, please visit our website at true vine baptist.org. Chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 3 through 13 uh, here in just a bit while you're turning and we're transitioning. Uh, Next weekend, uh, we will worship by partaking of the Lord's Supper together. Uh, So please, this week, I give encouragement to uh, give attention to the confession of sin. And then um, also wanted to say just a word. Uh, we, we've started this uh, new Sunday school series and uh, over church history and stuff. I, I'm, I'm already very much enjoying it. But I wanted to make one thing clear about it. What we're doing in Sunday school in, in studying church history, we would never do that as part of like the Lord's day worship, if that makes sense. Um, when it comes to the, the Lord's day worship, we believe this is the time for the preaching of the Bible. And we have the conviction here that the most faithful way to do that, we think the way it was designed is to preach through sections of the Bible, whole books of the Bible. You know, Wednesday nights, we also, uh, study through the word. That's the time that I more teach rather than preach. And there's a time and a place for that. But when it comes to, you know, there are just some things, uh, in just Christian education in general, there's there's a time for that. And so Sunday school is kind of the time that we allot for that kind of thing. It's not the only thing we do. We study through books of the Bible sometimes. But if we're going to do just kind of a Christian education, Sunday school is that time in our minds that we set aside for. So we invite you to come to that. I think it's going to be very profitable. Romans 12 start uh, reading in verse three. We'll read through this, this whole second point and then we'll pray and start talking about what's here, but read along with me, please. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and All the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service, in his serving, or he who teaches, in his teaching, Or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our great God, King and Savior, we bow ourselves before you. We want to offer up worship to you right now. And we pray, oh God, that we'll do that as we study what you have said and we know that even though you said this a long time ago, there's the miracle that you work right here right now in that by your spirit, you apply and communicate the words to us. There are new things happening right now as you are speaking through your word. We we pray that that will happen in power. God, we, we pray that you will be pleased. You will be glorified as we see your truth, your righteousness, your glory, the the wondrous design of the gospel and your will and all of it in your word. But also, Lord, as you transform us, you bring us to greater obedience and greater holiness. And we're offering ourselves to you right now saying, make us holy, change us, teach us, instruct us. We're, We're not resisting you. We are submitting to you. We want to be changed. And then God, we want to leave here and go obey your word so please, God, we, we pray, accomplish all of this and more. Feed us, instruct us, encourage us, challenge us, convict us, strengthen and help us. Show us, oh God, Lord, glorify your name in all of the ways that you do through your word. We pray you bless this time. Uh, I, I pray you bless me to preach, to. Be helpful, useful, all of us to worship as we receive. And please bless the children, bless the nursery, bless the Bible study happening there. Uh, do the same things we pray, O oh God, in their hearts. So please, O oh God, send your spirit, glorify your name. We ask it through the name of your son. Amen. Y- you may remember the story of Demosthenes. I've told you about him in the past. He was a Greek uh, from the city of Athens And when Demosthenes was a young boy, he he attended a city event where a a public speaker, an orator, delivered an address and it riled the crowds to such an extent that as Demosthenes saw this, he said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be that. So he goes through his childhood. He goes through some preparation and the day finally comes comes where he was able to deliver his very first public speech. And it was a disaster. It went terrible. And really at that moment, there was a, it was a critical decision. This was a critical moment in, in his life. You know, applying this to kingdom things... It is legitimate if we try our hands at something and find out, I don't have the gifts that it takes to do that well and say, I gotta go find some other way to serve God with those talents. But there's also the reality that even when God gives you a talent, the talent has to be sharpened. So there's the old illustration that in in the gifts, uh, God gives you an ax and it's our job to sharpen the ax that he gives us. And the reason why history remembers Demosthenes is because of how he responded to this disastrous first speech. He went home and he shaved half of his head. He shaved half of his head so that he would look ridiculous and he wouldn't be tempted to leave his house. And so that for months on end, he would every single day not waste time, but give himself to practice, 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 practice. He had an underground basement study where he would go day after day and write speeches, rewrite speeches, practice communicating them. Uh, He's remembered for taking pebbles and putting them in his mouth and then practicing speaking clearly so that he would even develop the muscles that it took in your mouth. So he was working on the content. He was working on delivery. He was working on pronunciation of words, every part of it. And he devoted himself to years of practice. And the reason why history remembers him is because he became one of the greatest orators in that ancient city of Athens. Thousands of years later, We still know his name. Well well, Christian, really a, a significant amount of New Testament instruction is calling us to a similar kind of pursuit of excellence but in the things that eternally matter, in the things of the kingdom. So, you know, not as Demosthenes for our own namesake, and it's not in just whatever ambition we might choose, but in the things that will still matter 10,000 years from now, in the kingdom of God, in the building of his church. This passage that we're looking at, is, is calling us, there's, there's, a, there's a double call in this passage, and that's, that's what we're going to be addressing this morning a, a double truth. This passage calls us believers to serve the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it doesn't just stop there. You notice the emphasis on this next truth that goes hand, to hand, hand in hand with it, and that is do it with excellence. Serve the body of Christ and do it in a way that supremely glorifies God. As you look through the whole text that we read. So there's a reason why I read the whole passage there. All through it, when we come to verse six and and gifts are spoken of there. And then as you come to verse nine, other good deeds and good works are addressed. you, You notice that repeatedly, we're not just told to do the work there's further instruction given with commands. So for instance, look at the one that says, uh, he who leads. So those who have the responsibility, the gifting of leading. You see, it doesn't just stop there and say, those who have the gift lead. What does it have also there? In diligence. And so what it's meaning is, there is the call to serve, but then this extra explanation that is calling of how it is to be done. What we are seeing is that the how matters. The way in which we serve matters. The condition of the heart while we serve matters. The effort, the time, the energy, the excellence of how we serve matters. So, so that's the big call that we are going to be looking at here, you know, in our outline, you know, you've, you've heard me been saying in verses three to 13, there are four major truths that are there, how we are to relate to one another in the body of Christ as brothers and sisters. We are to, okay, we are to do this letter A in humility. We saw that letter B, um, as members of the same body that was last weekend. And today we're looking at C and D, which is we are to relate to one another in service, to one another and then letter D. And as we do this, it is to be done with excellence and with earnestness in our service. So I'm going to take those two truths and um, explain and apply those today. And then the plan is Lord willing, we'll come back starting next week. And then we're going to start walking through starting in verse six, the specific gifts. So Told prophecy. We need to spend some time talking about that and applying them and walking through. So today the truth serve and do it with excellence in weeks to come, the specifics. So let's get started with letter C then. We relate to one another in service to one another. In 6 to 13, there are all these good works, these good deeds, the the exercising of gifts of the spirits that we're called to. We need to think about the big picture here with all of it. It is a significant truth that needs to be seen, believed, and rooted as a a meaningful conviction in our hearts that we serve Christ by serving his church. Serving Jesus' church in, in the many ways that this can be done. In the many ways from from filling the toilet paper rolls in the bathroom to complex kinds of uh, running ministries and all the ways that it can be done, all of it is involved in this work, uh, New Testament language of building up the body of Christ. Building up the body of Christ refers to every part of what it means uh, from reaching lost people with the gospel So that enemies of God become worshipers of God to to the work that we do here of serving one another so that every believer, every believer in the church family is making progress in growth, growing in knowledge, growing in obedience, growing in holiness. So so that we are um, helping the children to become followers of Christ themselves, making progress on all of this is a part of what it means uh, when the Bible talks about the building up of the body of Christ. Every bit of it, it works to spread the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ. The building up of the church Glorifies the name of Christ. You know, if you think about it amongst us, because as we are growing in Christ, we are coming to love him more and more. We are coming to worship him. We are coming to please him more and more. But we are also showing the the glory of the name of Christ to the world. And as in this mystery, as the Bible says repeatedly, we are showing his glory to the angels and stirring their worship. Building the body of Christ magnifies the name of Christ. And we we are to be seeing that as we then serve the church, we are serving our savior. But when we say it kind of broadly like that, if we just say, Okay, one of the applications of the text here is, Christian, you need to serve uh, the church, your local church, the church of the Lord Jesus. When we say it broadly like that, we can sometimes miss the practical nitty gritty details of what it means to be down in the trenches working. This means that you and I must be involved in serving real, actual people. Not just theoretically serving the church, but actually getting involved with real people. People who are sinners saved by grace. And as you do that, you're going to find yourself with one of the great temptations of the church. One of the great temptations of church involvement and church service is growing disillusioned growing aggravated, growing frustrated, maybe even bitter. Maybe just eventually getting tired of drama and problems and the messiness that comes with a community of sinners who are trying to live in fellowship with one another. This is actually one of the greatest obstacles to serving in the church. It's to eventually grow disillusioned because it can all sound great in theory. Okay, because if you have, if you're a new Christian, for instance, and you've not yet like really started getting involved in the service of the church, I hope today, as we talk about these things, you get psyched up and say, yay, I'm going to do this. Here's a temptation that's going to come. You're going to start finding problems, messiness. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to say a lot of times, who does that? As you get involved in people's lives and see things that are happening all over the place, you're going to see problems. And it is one of the temptations that, that people eventually come to a place that kind of throw their hands in the air. And they're just like, I'm done with this. And when they say I'm done, there's a couple things that they could mean. W- one of the things that they could mean is, you know, I'm I'm done being a part of the church any longer. You'd be surprised how often this kind of thing happens that people come to these conclusions. I love Jesus, but I don't need the church. I'm just going to listen to online sermons. I've got a Bible study that I really like. I'm going to get fed there, but it also could mean that somebody says when they say I'm done, that what they mean is I'll still go to church, but I'm just not going to be highly involved But when that happens, there are some critical truths that are being missed here. There are some big misunderstandings that are coming. It is a pretty big misunderstanding of the church and of reality, To think that a church family is going to be a place without problems, and we all float around on little clouds, skipping in our joy in the gospel, and, and it's always beautiful community. There should be beautiful community. But the idea that there's never going to be messiness, it's just misunderstanding Well, really, it's misunderstanding scripture. Now, Cole, I promise you, I had these things in my notes before your Sunday school class this morning. He had an excellent Sunday school uh, message this morning. But one of the things he talked about is the idea that sometimes people think the farther back you go into church history, the purer the church gets. Okay? have you read the New Testament? You know, when Paul wrote to the, the, the church at Corinth there in first and second Corinthians, I just imagine Paul, you know, looking like me with no hair because he's pulled it all out. Okay. He wrote to Galatians because of the false gospel. He wrote the Colossians, you know, over and over again. Think of the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the churches in revelation two and three. There's only one of them that Jesus did not rebuke in a serious kind of way. Look, it is a reality The church has messiness. Think about it. hundred and fifty sinners all coming together to try to live in community. You're going to get problems. You're going to get messiness. But one of the things we need to know is Jesus knew that before he created her. You know, the the, the fact that the church has messiness is, is not this cause that Jesus is like, oh man, I messed up. No, he knew this before he made her. And one of the things that we need to know going into this is frustration, difficulty, and and some of the challenges that come with serving each other. This is part of what it is. It's actually part of the point. If you think about what ministry is, ministry is helping people who need ministered to, who don't have everything together, and that's all of us. If, if, if all of us had our lives totally put together, okay, we wouldn't need ministry. We wouldn't need the various gifts of the body, but this is, this is one of the points. Jesus has made it to happen such a way that every one of us needs each other because no one person has all of the gifts of the spirit, all functioning in great perfection inside of any one of us. Every one of us has strengths and weaknesses and each other's strengths fill in the gaps in our weaknesses. Ministry, part of the very point of what ministry is, is that we don't have it all together and we need the fellowship of the body together. We are serving one another because we need help. And there are different stages of our lives where we need more help than others, but we need the regular fellowship of the body. Sometimes when we're not careful, if you have one of those seasons where things are going well, that happens from time to time. Sometimes it seems rare, like five minutes long. But whenever you have one of those seasons and it's going well and there's order and things have been put in place, we, we can, in pride, drift into an kind of arrogant way of thinking about one another where we see the inadequacies and messiness and we kind of write people off who are not yet have it all together. I mean, I'm I'm sad to say that early in my ministry as a pastor, this was one of the things this light bulb had not gone off yet that there were times that in my mind, I kind of wrote people off because they didn't have it all together and functioning properly. And that is not the New Testament instruction. The the, the, the instruction of the New Testament is consistently speaking in the context of the body. This is going to be regular life and we are to be helping one another. So so for instance, in 2 Timothy 2.25, it tells pastors, so this one's to pastors. It says, be kind to all patient when when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.14 speaks to the whole church. Okay, so this is all believers. And it says, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Encourage the faint hearted, help the weak and be patient with everyone. That is not an attitude of, well, you're a Christian. You're supposed to have everything together. What, what do you mean you're faint hearted? Don't you know the gospel? That That's not that attitude. We are helping one another and being patient with each other. Part of the point that I'm getting at is this. Serving the church means helping actual people with real problems, doing so in a way that is patient and gentle with one another. And as we serve one another, we are serving Christ. That's a truth we have to remind ourselves of uh, regularly th- over the years. As I serve the people of God, I'm serving my Lord. I'm serving my Savior. So to begin to apply some of this Christian To to obey this passage of scripture, God is calling you to serve. There are lots of different ways that that happens. Uh, There are ways of service where there's an actual established ministry and you might have a title. There are also ways of service that it's, it's not an actual established ministry with a name. It's ways that you'll go about doing it. So for instance... If you're gifted at hospitality, which is so crucial to the fellowship of the body, the church family, by the way, if you're gifted at hospitality, you know, we don't, we don't have like, um, an official title in the church for that, but it's the kind of thing that you engage in. So God's word is calling you to serve, but you need to know ahead of time that when you begin to serve, there's going to be frustrations. It's going to be difficult. You're going to have temptations to quit or, or to back away because of those frustrations. But there are some truths that have to be rooted down deep. And one of them is we serve Christ by serving his people. And, and listen, you cannot divorce yourself from the church and still serve Christ. We serve him by serving his people. The New Testament commands us to do things like, if you flip over to another passage with me, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, which uh, a familiar passage because it's so powerful. We reference it from time to time. Ephesians 4, I'm going to start in verse 11. In verse 11, he he starts to give um, some of the, the gifts of the church, the leadership and teaching gifts of the church. And he tells us why they've been given and for what purpose. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles. And some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Saints are believers, not just holy men, for the equipping of believers for the work of service so that all of the church is doing the work of service. Look at this language to the building up of the body of Christ, building up the body of Christ. As you keep going through the passage, it continues on of this language of strengthening, edifying, encouraging, building, uh, unifying. This is what we are to be doing. So we are to serve. And now here's the next part, letter D. And we are to do so with excellence and, and with earnestness. Now, now, notice this really important part of the text that I've already alluded to. Throughout the passage, we're given these commands, but the commands are not left alone. There's further instruction given with them. So we aren't just told to uh, prophesy. Okay, what is that? We're going to start getting into that next week. Okay, those who have that gift, they're not just to do it. What, What are they told? they're told to do it according to the proportion of his faith. So remember we've been learning in this passage, this comes up several times, God has given you your faith and he chose a certain amount of faith. And so when it comes to prophecy, you are to prophesy according to the measure, which is another way of saying to to the reaching the highest of the potential that God gave you. That's part of what it would mean but also notice that that phrase according to the proportion of his faith it applies to the next commands he gives as well in verse 7 service teaching and verse 8 exhortation so so that instruction applies to all of it but but keep going through the text look what it says he who gives he doesn't just say do it he says give with liberality those who uh, show mercy what does it say do it with cheerfulness, verse nine, love, and make it to be without hypocrisy, verse 10. We aren't just told to be devoted to one another, we're told to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Uh, Same thing in verse 10, Uh, we aren't just told to give preference to one another, but to do so in honor. To one another, and not every single command has one of these uh, one of these phrases attached to it, but there are enough of them that we're being shown this: how we serve matters. There is an overall call here and instruction to do it in a way that supremely glorifies God. The way we serve matters. The how matters. The condition of the heart while we do it matters. The effort we put into it matters. The virtue that ought to be attached to the service matters. Christ's bride is to be served with excellence not because we are worthy of it, but because he is. We serve Christ by serving him. So, so think about what we mean when we say that we are to serve with excellence. You know, so in, in one sense, that, that, that is saying a lot. So if we if we just left the command, serve and serve with excellence, there's a lot that's communicated there. But let's talk a little bit about what it means to serve with excellence. I'll bring up some of the aspects of that first and right out of the text. Notice that every with every work of service that we do, there is some virtue or maybe a group of virtues, but at least some virtue that must accompany it for it to be done in a way that pleases God. So, if you're gonna work the nursery, do it with gentleness and patience. Now, somebody could say, well, I mean, shouldn't we be gentle and patient all the time? Yeah, but you you understand it's not enough for me to say, go be perfect, okay, have we solved everything? No, okay, We, we we are sinners and it takes effort to give a right kind of virtue that needs to accompany a certain kind of work. So, um, serve the nursery with gentleness and patience. Shouldn't we do that all the time? Yeah, but it's not as critical when you mow the grass. Okay. So like, I, you know, we're not real careful to be like, be gentle when you mow the grass. That's, that's, that's not instruction that we give. Gentleness and patience is are there virtues that uniquely are attached to what it need, what needs to happen to serve in the nursery in a way that glorifies God. And we can apply that kind of across the board. So for instance, um, is it verse eight there that talks about the acts of mercy? So think about that for a second. Acts of mercy, this would be um, acts of service and kindness to widows, to orphans, to the poor. Let's say, for instance, that a member of our church um, became physically handicapped. One of the very practical ways we would serve them is maybe with some yard work, to help them out around their house with some manual labor. So let's say that someone, uh, we got a rotation going and someone showed up for their week uh, to serve at this, this brother's house. They got there and they're uh, cleaning gutters and raking leaves, but the whole time they're rolling their eyes, uh, they're, they're not doing a good job, they've got a bad attitude the whole time that they're there. Okay, think, think about it, acts of service have been done and that's better than them not happening, you do need to remember that, it's better than them not happening. But just because the acts of service has been done does not mean that God is pleased with it and God accepts it uh, as a good work that has been done by faith. And the goal is that what we do in our effort is an offering unto God that it glorifies him. So the way to do acts of mercy, what does verse say with cheerfulness? With, with cheerfulness. So that's a virtue that needs to accompany that service. And so the Bible does not list off every gift that can possibly exist and every good deed, but, but this general principle is applied that as we work and as we serve one another, there are certain virtues that need to, that, that need to accompany these things. So he mentions for those who lead, what, what, what's, the, what, what's the unique virtue he, he applies there? Diligence, work hard at it, That doesn't mean that's the only thing, but that communicates excellence. That communicates, do it in a way that honors and glorifies God. The heart matters, the way that work is done matters. So so that would be a first part of excellence. Here's another part of excellence. Excellence takes effort, effort that is oftentimes uncommon. And there's a reason why excellence isn't the same thing as mediocrity. Excellent isn't the same thing as average. Excellence involves an effort that goes beyond what is normal. Laziness and negligence do not honor the Lord. If we put our hands to work in matters of the kingdom, they are to be done with a great effort, done with ne- excellence. It is the norm that most humans do not strive for excellence. That's not an attempt to be mean, okay? You see this, right? That's just, there's a reason why average is average, okay? Most humans do not strive for excellence. There's a place in the mind that says, good enough. And then it it stops there. Notice that one of the very common temptations that Satan puts in the world and, and in Christians is so long as I'm not hurting anybody, then I'm okay with God, Okay? we've felt that, we've thought that. So long as I'm not hurting anybody, then I'm fine. Apply that to a construction worker, okay? Let's say out on the job site here, out at our new building that's happening, Uh, let's say the company that's doing this, they sent an employee out there and the employee all day played on his phone, played cards with his friends, did some online shopping, okay? The supervisor shows up and goes, hey, what are you doing? And he goes, I didn't tear anything down, (laughs) okay? Well, Well, no, but there's a job to be done. There's an instruction that there is positive productivity that is supposed to be happening. Christian, there is positive productivity that we are supposed to be uh, accomplishing with our lives. And we are to do so with excellence. And excellence takes a kind of effort that is going beyond average and what is normal. Go beyond mediocrity. Go beyond that that good enough kind of thinking. Strive for excellence in bearing fruit in the things that matter. And by the way, we're not able to give excellence to everything. We are finite creatures with finite amounts of energy. And I'm finding the older I get, the less that is. We have finite amounts of time finite amount of mental focus uh, that it takes to pour yourself uh, into something. We have to prioritize what we spend energy, time, um, and focus on. And by the way, it's not just that we have to, we do it as humans. We're all the time prioritizing. We may not be aware that we are, but we are all the time making priorities. And so, Here here would be one of the principles that comes out in the New Testament. This would come from places like uh, Jesus's teaching uh, when he said things like where your treasure is there, your heart will be also the amount of effort that we put into each matter of life is to be proportional to its value, which might just be kind of an overcomplicated way to say we're to put the greatest effort into what matters most. We're to put medium effort into what matters medium and we're to put the least amount of effort into what matters the least. This really is one of the ways that we get life wrong a lot. We we humans, we're always misvaluing things. We we take stuff that's not sinful, it's just not worth much, and we treat it like it's way too important, and then things of the kingdom, things that will still matter 10,000 years from now, we fail to see its real value. Listen, Christian, Your holiness, your personal obedience to God is still going to count and matter 10,000 years from now. The spiritual health of your family, 20,000 years from now, it is still going to matter. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is still going to matter into eternity. We are to give the right kinds of effort for excellence into the things that matter. Excellence takes effort. When you engage in kingdom service, I know this might sound like a really simple kind of instruction, exhortation, but I'm going to give it. When you do kingdom things, do a good job. Do a good job. Give time to considering what it means to do a good job. If you run a ministry... If you have some kind of charge over things, Uh, occasionally set aside some time just to pray and think, how can I increase the quality of this? You might schedule some times to take a long walk and at the beginning just say, God, show me more about how I can honor you more in this ministry. Give time and attention to thinking and planning how to do a good job. You know, if you sign up to Mo, put it on your calendar, make it happen, you know, when you when you think through various uh, ministries that you sign up for, excellence, um, oftentimes takes a concerted mental kind of focus to pour in into the work that we are doing, uh, Christian. When it comes to kingdom things, do a good job, and we need to we need to have it rooted as a conviction. It deserves to be done in a way that honors the Lord. Another part of excellence. Excellence takes time and preparation oftentimes effort that is put into we mentioned earlier this illustration of sharpening the axe we're we're talking about ways that we prepare to be supremely useful in years ahead It, it is often said that it takes 10 years to master something uh, 10 years of regular practice to master something to get really proficient at it. And, and, so, and so Christian, you know, I, I wanna I want give this kind of exhortation to you, M- make it a goal to master some areas of service to the kingdom of God. If music is a, a talent that God has given you and you want to glorify God with that talent, putting in 10 years of regular practice Number one, it's worth it. But number two, you are also serving God while you practice. Now, if you're dreaming up being a rock star and you just want fame, that's another thing. Okay, You're serving a different cause. But if you put in 10 years of regular practice because you want to be really excellent in what you do, even the preparation honors God. If if you believe that teaching is a gift that you have and you want to do this, I mean, I want to highly call on you. Put in the effort. Put in the sweat that it takes to become a good and proficient teacher. Read books on teaching. Listen to lectures. Take a seminary course on preaching. Learn how to interpret the Bible. Practice writing messages Start a nursing home ministry so that weekly you're able to do teaching. Put in the work to become proficient and do a good job. But apply that same kind of mindset, Christian, across the board to everything that matters. Dads, dads, do a good job of fathering. Okay? Read books on how to be a good father. Uh, read, read books on marriage you homeschool moms who are, who are doing this as a ministry to your kids put in effort to do a good job the, these things matter put in the effort that it takes in the things that matter put in the effort to, to make it honor God and then do it for the long haul do it for the long haul Christian um Find out where God's gifted you. Put in effort to do it with excellence. And then here would be, you know, one of the last things I'm going to say about it. Do it for 40 years. Do do it for the duration. Be faithful over the course of decades. Like uh, my very first Sunday school teacher I had after I got saved. Sweet woman that I probably have even an unhealthy kind of admiration for. uh, Because I just think of her as like a Superhero. She taught the word of God. She did it with excellence. She prayed for us kids. She loved on us and she did it for decades. She ran her race well. Christian, there's there's something that is honorable about that. You know, it, it is often the case that service in the church becomes a revolving door. A revolving door of people who who do it for a little while, but then start to get disillusioned by some of the things I've already described and some of the things I'm going to say here in just a second. and, And then fade away. There's effort that we need to put into serving God for a long season of time. And, and one of the, another one of the biggest challenges to service, so I already addressed frustration with sinners. Here is another one of the big challenges that comes with serving over the long haul. It is just eventually the fires of willingness burning down to little embers, growing cold, and then it becomes drudgery. It no longer has the excitement, the giddiness that was once there. It's just drudgery. You need to know before you get started that one of the challenges to serving for a long period of time is keeping up your willingness. There's a reason why David prayed in Psalm 51, sustain me with a willing spirit. When we were first planting the church here, We would have a lot of interaction with other churches that were supporting us. And Christians would, you know, say encouraging things to us all the time. And one of the the things that came up a lot of times is uh, Christians would would say to me, it must just be so exciting. And I'd say, it is. And don't get me wrong, but probably not in the way you're thinking, (laughs) I said, because the the practical reality is, at the time we were meeting in the basement of a bank, okay? Some of you were there in the little dungeon we called it, okay? And the fluorescent lights would be buzzing and flickering and giving us seizures as we sat there. And we had the 40 year old carpet on the floor and it smelled like a basement. And, you know, on a good Sunday, 12 people showed up. I can remember one year in on Easter, our one year anniversary, we had 12 people. I was stoked. 12 people, you know? And so, and so I would tell to some of these, these people, yeah, it is exciting, but it's because I have to remind myself of what's happening in the heavenly realm. Because in the, in the day-to-day work of this, it doesn't smell exciting. <laughs> it doesn't feel exciting by what my eyes can see. Christian, don't look to what is seen. That's biblical language. Don't look to what is seen, look to what is unseen. We have to remember the heavenly realm. There has to be a lot of reminding ourselves of what is is actually happening as we serve um, one another, that the body of Christ is being built up. And, And when you go serve a widow, angels rejoice. Angels rejoice. That there is glory that is being given to God. You're building up the body of Christ. You know, a lot of ministries, when you get into doing them, you find out they're not as exciting as what I thought it was going to be like before I started. You know, some churches get really amped up about reaching kids uh, in their community, which is awesome And so they might get psyched up and say, we're going to start bussing kids into church. So they go buy a bus and they go start picking them up. Man, this sounds amazing. Aren't you excited as you think about it? It is. But think about the bus driver. (laughs) Okay. So the bus driver, Sunday after Sunday, he goes and picks up 15 unparented children, bring them here. They get here. Who's taking care of them? They're running wild, kicking over chairs and spilling drinks and paint and putting dents in walls. And on the ride home, the bus driver gets puked on and gum in his hair. And after two years of that, (laughs) he's not as excited as when he started. Now, listen to me. That's an exciting ministry. Think about these eternal souls hearing the gospel. But in the week to week work. It doesn't feel exciting. Christian, everything we do in service to the kingdom of God, it's coming with a temptation. It comes with a temptation. Your enemy wants you to only look with your physical eyes of the frustrations and forget about the heavenly. Don't look to what is seen. Look to what is unseen. Christian, serve God. Do it with excellence. Do it for a long time. Serve and, and endure in the work. And there's a truth that the Bible preaches that seems so simple, so so obvious. Like sometimes it doesn't even seem like it needs to be said. But I promise you, it will. This is a, a statement that's become precious to me. One because I meet with Logan Hickey every week and we pray for each other, and almost every week he prays this verse for me. It's First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight and it says, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That sounds so simple. But you know what, when we start to get burnt out from ministry, from working, that's, that's one of the things we're wrestling with. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And, and scripture preaches in, in such simple ways, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It is producing a reward. It is glorifying God. It all has a point. The angels rejoice when the people of God are serving. And there is a disappointment that comes with with quitting. So we we, we are to labor and we are to do it for the long haul. By the way, this is a conversation pastors have regularly. Regularly. How do we keep going and not quit or fall into grievous sin? Okay. And the answer to to that, how do we go for the long haul? It's, It's more than we can address here because it really involves every part of the Christian life. But, but one, of, one of the biggest is that, Christian, there's a lot of work that we have to put into sustaining our willingness, our zeal. So in order to serve and to do it well, a significant part of the work is not just the effort you put into the preparing of a message for Sunday school, for instance. It's also the work that you do personally to seek the face of God. So that your worship, your hope, your joy, and your zeal is being kept on fire. You got to put wood on that fire because when we do not, it burns down and cools to embers. Keep putting wood on that fire. Pay attention to the condition of your heart. Let me start to bring this to a conclusion here. Christian, Jesus spilt his blood to make the church to gather the church and we serve Christ by serving one another, his people. We, we, if if, if your only goal in ministry is thinking, well, I, I love them. So I'm going to serve them. You will eventually grow tired of that. Supremely. We serve one another out of our love for Christ. Your savior who saved you says, care for my people. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? Simon, Peter, do you love me? He asked that three times and each time that Peter responded, yes, what did Jesus then tell Peter? Tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep. If you love Jesus, serve his people because you serve Christ by serving his people. And if that's the case, then that means that service to the body of Christ, it's worth more than half-hearted efforts. In fact, half-hearted efforts dishonor him. It dishonors him because he's worth more. He's worth too much for that. So Christian, I I, I exhort you and, and, and encourage you, don't be negligent in your service to Christ. Don't give your best to things of the world and then table scraps to things of the kingdom of God. If Demosthenes would shave half his head, can we do things like read some books on the subject so that we do a good job? Can we spend an hour praying for the ministry that we're involved in and and ask God to show us how we can excel still more, serve and do so with excellence, do it with earnest diligence. And then if you're here and you've never turned to Christ to be saved and maybe this uh, whole thing, all we're talking about is kind of new to you. It's possible that after listening to this message, you're thinking to yourself, you know, I guess I need to start doing some works of service to build up some good works before God so that he'll accept me into heaven. You, you, you need to know that it doesn't work that way. one so of the most common misunderstandings of religion in general, and most every one of us were there at some point. What the Bible shows us is that you, you will never be able to acquire enough good deeds to outweigh bad. You will never be able to make yourself good enough. What God promises to do is to give you the gift of acceptance and eternal life. What you need is your sins to be forgiven. You need to be cleansed before God. You need to be brought near to God and reconciled to him and granted eternal life. And what God says is that he will give that to you in a moment as a gift, but it comes at the moment. That you truly trust in Christ for the first time. That you stop trusting yourself, you look away uh, from whatever it is you have been trusting in, and you turn your heart in a way that places your faith in Jesus. You, You receive Him, you embrace Him as your Lord, your Savior, your King, the one who gets to tell you what to do. You look to Him like that, knowing you must be saved. And pray and ask him to do so. God gives us the promise that if you will turn in your heart, even where you sit right now, if you will turn in your heart and trust in Christ and pray and ask that he will save you, that he will do that. If you want to ask some questions about that, talk about that more, please find me before you leave. I'll close us in prayer right now. Our Father in heaven, we we do ask that you will help us to obey this passage that, that we've looked at here. I pray, oh God, in our church family, I pray, oh Lord, that we will excel still more. I pray that there will be fruit that abounds from the, 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 the generous amounts of love and care and service to one another that takes place in this church family. Lord, I, I pray that those who are serving, I pray that you'll increase the quality Lord, any in the church family that has not yet begun to really step in and and give of themselves to serve, I I pray that you'll so compel them that they desire to do this, that they're overwhelmed by what you've done and they'll want to serve. Lord, we, we pray that you'll bless us as we have this ministry of trying to reach the community around us and the nations with the gospel. Bless us to excel at this. Build up your church, oh God, we pray that your name will be glorified that Jesus will be lifted high. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. God bless. You're dismissed. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at True Vine, I-N-D. Or visit our website at TrueVine dash vine dash baptist dot org